Good evening. Hi. Hello, and welcome back to Kraken's Cabin. How was your walk? I went out earlier, and the chill of the wind off the lake was a little too much for me, so I've got the fire extra stoked tonight. Definitely the time for hot chocolates and heartwarming tea, don't you think? Well, I'm glad you're back. I think I found a breakthrough in the rhyme I found from my uncle. You remember it, right? Roses red, ravens black. To where I go, I must go back. Well, I've been going through horticulture, aviary, directions, all the different sections of my uncle's library, but that's where I was going wrong. Remember we started with reflections? We read Dorian Gray. Well, went back to that area in the library and it hit me. Roses, ravens, reflections, Alice in Wonderlands. My uncle has this hardback copy, which has obviously seen better days. The pages are yellowed, numbered, little highlights. But I think there's going to be something in here that's going to give us a better idea of what's happened. So, if you want to take notes, just make yourself comfortable, and I'll read when you're ready. Okay? Perfect. So, this is Alice's Adventures in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll. Chapter 1. Down the Rabbit Hole. Alice was beginning to get very tired of sitting by her sister on the bank and of having nothing to do. Once or twice she had peeped into the book her sister was reading, but it had no pictures or conversations in it. And what is the use of a book, thought Alice, without pictures or conversations? So she was considering, in her own mind, as well as she could, for the hot day made her feel very sleepy and stupid, whether the pleasure of making a daisy chain would be worth the trouble of getting up and picking the daisies, when suddenly a white rabbit with pink eyes ran close by her. There was nothing so very remarkable in that, nor did Alice think that it was so very much out of the way to hear the rabbit say to itself, Oh dear, oh dear, I shall be too late. When she thought about it afterwards, it occurred to her that she ought to have wondered at this, but at the time it all seemed quite natural. But when the rabbit actually took a watch out of its waistcoat pocket and looked at it and then hurried on, Alice started to her feet, for it flashed across her mind that she had never before seen a rabbit with either a waistcoat pocket or a watch to take out of it, and, burning with curiosity, she ran across the field after it and was just in time to see it pop down a large rabbit hole under the hedge. In another moment down went Alice after it, never once considering how in the world she was to get out again. The rabbit hole was straight on like a tunnel for some way, and then it dipped suddenly down, so suddenly that Alice had not a moment to think about stopping herself before she found herself falling down what seemed to be a very deep well. Either the well was very deep, or she fell very slowly, for she had plenty of time as she went down to think and look and to wonder what was going to happen next. First, she tried to look down and make out what she was coming to, but it was too dark to see anything. Then she looked at the sides of the well, and noticed that they were filled with cupboards and bookshelves. Here and there she saw maps and pictures hung upon pegs. She took down a jar from one of the shelves as she passed, and it was labelled Orange Marmalade. But to her great disappointment it was empty. She did not like to drop the jar, for fear of killing somebody underneath, so she managed to put it in one of the cupboards that she felt past in. 
Well, thought Alice to herself, after such a fall as this, I shall think of nothing about tumbling downstairs. How brave they'll all think of me at home. Why, I wouldn't say anything about it, even if I fell off the top house, which was very likely true. Down, down, down. Would the fall never come to an end? I wonder how many miles I've travelled by this time, she said aloud. I must be getting somewhere near the centre of the earth. Let me see. That would be 4,000 miles down. I think, for, you see, Alice had learned several things of this sort in her lessons in the schoolroom, and though this was not a very good opportunity for showing off her knowledge, as there was no one to listen to her, still, it was good practice to set over. Yes, that's about the right distance. But then I wonder what the latitude or longitude that I've got to. Alice had not the slightest idea what latitude was, or longitude either, but she thought they were nice, grand words to say. Presently, she began again. I wonder if I shall fall right through the earth. How funny it will seem to come out among the people that walk with their heads downwards. Antipathies, I think. She was rather glad there was no one listening this time, as it didn't sound at all like the right word. But I shall have to ask them what the name of this country is, you know. Please, ma'am, is this New Zealand or Australia? And she tried to curtsy as she spoke. Fancy. Curtsying as you're falling through the air. Do you think you could manage it? And what an ignorant little girl she'll think me for asking. No, it'll never do to ask. Perhaps I shall see it written up somewhere. Down, down, down. There was nothing else to do. So Alice soon began talking again. Dina will miss me very much tonight, she'd think. Dina was her cat. I think they'll remember her saucer of milk at tea time. Dina, my dear, as you were down here with me. There are no mice in the air, I'm afraid, but you might catch a bat. I think that's very like a mouse, you know. But do cats eat bats, I wonder? And here Alice began to get rather sleepy and went on saying to herself in a dreamy sort of way, Do cats eat bats? Do cats eat bats? And sometimes, bats eat cats. For, you see, as she couldn't answer each question, it didn't much matter which way she put it. She felt that she was dozing off, and had just begun to dream that she was walking hand in hand with Dina, and was saying to her very earnestly, Now, Dina, tell me the truth. Did you ever eat a bat? When suddenly, thump, thump, down she came upon a heap of sticks and dry leaves, and the fall was over. Alice was not a bit hurt, and she jumped up on her feet for a moment. She looked up, and it was all dark overhead. Before her was another long passage, and the white rabbit was still in sight, hurrying down it. There was not a moment to be lost. Away went Alice, like the wind, and she was just in time to hear it say as it turned a corner. Oh, my ears and whiskers, how late it's getting. She was close behind it when she turned the corner. The rabbit was no longer to be seen. She found herself in a long, low hall, which was lit up by a row of lamps hanging from the roof. There were doors all around the hall, but they were all locked. And when Alice had been all the way down one side and up the other, trying every door, she walked sadly down the middle wondering how she was ever to get out again. Suddenly, 
She came upon a three-legged table, all made of solid glass. And there was nothing on it but a tiny golden key. Alice's first idea was that this might belong to one of the doors of the hall. But, alas, either the locks were too large or the key was too small. But at any rate, it wouldn't open any of them. However, on the second time round, she came upon a low curtain that she'd not noticed before. And behind it was a little door about 15 inches high. She tried the little golden key in the lock and to her great delight, it fitted. Alice opened the door and found that it led into a small passage, not much larger than a rat hole. She knelt down and looking along the passage into the loveliest garden you ever saw. How she longed to get out of the dark hall and wander among those beads of bright flowers and cool fountains. But she could not even get her head through the doorway. Even if my head would go through, thought Peralis, it would be of very little use without my shoulders. Oh, how I wish I could shut up like a telescope. I think I could, if I only knew how to begin. For, you see, so many out-of-the-way things had happened lately that Alice had begun to think that very few things indeed were really impossible. There seemed to be no use in waiting by the little door, so she went back to the table, half hoping that she might find another key on it, or at any rate, a book of rules for shutting people up like telescopes. This time, she found a little bottle on it, which was certainly not here before, said Alice. And tied round the neck of the bottle was a paper label with the words Drink Me, beautifully printed on it in large letters. It was all very well to say Drink Me, but the wise little Alice was not going to do that in a hurry. No. I'll look first, she said, and see whether it's marked poison or not. For she had read several nice little stories about children who had got burnt and eaten up by wild beasts and other unpleasant things, all because they would not remember the simple lessons their friends had taught them, such as that a red-hot poker will burn you if you hold it for too long, and that if you cut your finger very deeply with a knife, it usually bleeds. One should never forgotten that if you drink much from a bottle marked poison, it was almost certainly to disagree with you sooner or later. However, this bottle was not marked poison, so Alice ventured to taste it, and finding it very nice, it had in fact a sort of mixed flavour of cherry tart, custard, pineapple, roast turkey, toffee, and hot buttered toast. And she very soon finished it off. What a curious feeling, said Alice. I must be shutting up like a telescope. And so it was indeed. She was now only ten inches high, and her face brightened up at the thought that she was now the right size for going through the little door into that lovely garden. First, however, she waited for a few minutes to see if she was going to shrink any further. She felt a little nervous about this. For it might end, you know, said Alice to herself, in my going out altogether, like a candle. I wonder what I should be like then. And she tried to fancy what sort of flame a candle looks like after the candle's been blown out, for she could not remember ever having seen such a thing. After a while, finding that nothing more had happened, she decided on going into the garden at once. Alas for Paralys. When she got to the door, she found that she had forgotten the little golden key. When she went back to the table for it, she found she was not possibly able to reach it. She could see it quite plainly through the glass, 
and she tried her best to climb up one of the legs of the table, but it was too slippery. And when she had tired herself out with trying, the poor little thing sat down and cried. Come, there's no use in crying like that, said Alice to herself rather sharply. I advise you to leave this off this minute. She generally gave herself very good advice, though she very seldom followed it. And sometimes she scolded herself so severely as to bring tears to her eyes. And at once she remembered trying to box her own ears for having cheated herself in a game of croquet that she was playing against herself. For this curious child was very fond of pretending to be two people. But it's no use now, thought Paralysis, to pretend to be two people. Why, there's hardly enough of me left to make even one respectable person. Soon, her eye fell on a little glass box that was lying under the table. She opened it and found in it a very small cake, on which the words, Eat me, were beautifully marked in currants. Well, I'll eat it, said Alice, and if it makes me grow larger, I can reach the key, and if it makes me grow smaller, I can creep out under the door. So, either way, I'll get into the garden, and I don't care which happens. She had a little bit, and said anxiously to herself, Which way? Which way? Holding her hands on the top of her head to feel which way it was growing. And she was quite surprised to find that she remained the same size. To be sure, this is what generally happens when one eats cake. But Alice had got so much in the way of expecting nothing out of the way things to happen that it seemed quite dull and stupid for life to go on in a common way. So, she set to work and very soon finished off the cake. Chapter 2. The Pool of Tears Curiouser and curiouser, cried Alice. She was so much surprised that for the moment she quite forgot how to speak good English. Now I'm opening out like the largest telescope that ever was. Goodbye, feet. For when she looked down at her feet, they seemed to be almost out of sight. They were getting so far off. Oh, my poor little feet. I wonder who will put on your shoes and stockings for you now, dears. I'm sure I shan't be able. I shall be a great deal too far off to trouble myself about you. You must manage the best way that you can. But I must be kind to them, thought Alice. Or perhaps they won't walk the way I want to go. You see, I will give them a new pair of boots every Christmas. And she went on planning to herself how she would manage it. They must go by the carrier, she thought. And how funny it will seem, sending presents to one's own feet. And how odd the directions will look. Alice's right foot, Esquire. Hearthrug, near the fender. With Alice's love. Oh dear, what nonsense I'm talking. Just at this moment, her head struck against the roof of the hall. In fact, she was now rather more than nine feet high. She at once took up a little golden key and hurried off to the garden door. Her Alice. It was as much as she could do, lying down on one side, to look through into the garden with one eye. To get through was more hopeless than ever. She sat down and began to cry again. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, said Alice. A great girl like you, she might well say this, to go on crying in this way. Stop this moment, I tell you. But she went on all the same, shedding gallons of tears, until there was a large pool all around her, about four inches deep, and reaching half down the hall. After a time, she heard a little pattering of feet in the distance, and she hastily dried her eyes to see what was coming. 
It was the white rabbit returning, splendidly dressed, with a pair of white kid gloves in one hand and a large fan in the other. He came trotting down in a great hurry, muttering to himself as he came. Oh, the Duchess, the Duchess, oh, won't she be savage if I've kept her waiting? Alice felt so desperate she was ready to ask help of anyone. So when the rabbit came nearer, she began in a low, timid voice. If you please, sir. The rabbit started violently, dropped the white kid gloves in the fan, and scurried away into the darkness as hard as he could go. Alice took up the fan and gloves, and, as the hall was very hot, she kept fanning herself all the time she went on walking. Dear, dear, how queer everything is today. And yesterday things went on just as usual. I wonder if I've been changed in the night. Let me think. Was I the same when I got up this morning? I always think I can remember feeling a little different. But if I'm not the same, the next question is... Who in the world am I? Ah, that's the great puzzle. And she began thinking over all the children she knew that were of the same age as herself, to see if she could have been changed for any of them. I'm sure I'm not Ada, she said, for her hair goes in such long ringlets, and mine don't go under ringlets at all. And I'm sure I can't be Mabel, for I know all sorts of things, and she, oh, she knows so very little. Besides, she, she, and I'm I. Oh, oh dear. How puzzling this all is. I'll try if see if I know all of the things I used to know. Let me see. Four times five is twelve, and four times six is thirteen, and four times seven is... Oh dear, I shall never get to twenty at that rate. However, the multiplication table doesn't signify. Let's try geography. London is the capital of Paris, and Paris is the capital of Rome, and Rome... No, that's all wrong. I'm certain. I must have been changed for Mabel. I'll try and say, how doth the little... She crossed her hands on her lap, as if she were saying lessons, and began to repeat it. But her voice sounded hoarse and strange, and the words did not come out the same as they used to. How doth the little crocodile improve his shining tail, and pour the waters of the dial on every golden scale? How cheerfully he seems to grin, how neatly spreads his claws, and welcomes little fishes in, with gently smiling jaws. I'm sure those are not the right words, said Paralis, and her eyes filled with tears again as she went on. I must be Mabel after all, and I shall have to go and live in that pokey little house, and I have next to no toys to play with, and no oh, ever so many lessons to learn. No. I've made my mind up about it. If I'm Mabel, I shall stay down here. There'll be no use putting their heads down and saying, Come up again, dear. I shall only look up and say, Who am I then? Tell me that first. And then, if I like being that person, I'll come up. If not, I'll stay down here until I'm somebody else. But, oh dear, cried Alice with a sudden burst of tears. I do wish they would put their heads down. I'm so very tired of being here all alone. As she said this, she looked down at her hands. I was surprised to see that she had put on one of the rabbit's little white kid gloves that she was talking. How can I have done that? She thought. I must be growing small again. She got up and went to the table to measure herself by it, and found that, 
as nearly as she could guess. She was now about two feet high and was going on shrinking rapidly. She soon found that the cause of this was the fan that she was holding and she dropped it hastily, just in time to save herself from shrinking away altogether. That was a narrow escape, said Alice, a good deal frightened at the sudden change, but very glad to find herself still in existence. And now for the garden. And she ran with all speed back to the little door, but, alas, the little door was shut again, and the little golden key was lying on the glass table as before. And things are worse than ever, thought the poor child, for I never was so small as this before, never. And I declare it's too bad that it is. As she said these words, her foot slipped, and in another moment, splash, she was up to her chin in salt water. Her first idea is that she had fallen somehow into the sea. And in that case, I can go back by the railway, she said to herself. Alice had been to the seaside once in her life, and had come to the general conclusion that wherever you go on the English coast, you will find a number of bathing machines in the sea. Some children digging in the sand with wooden spades, and then a row of lodging houses, and behind them, a railway station. However, she was soon made out that she was in a pool of tears which she had wept when she was nine feet high. I wish I hadn't cried so much, said Alice, as she swam about, trying to find her way out. I shall be punished for it now, I suppose, by being drowned in my own tears. That will be a queer thing, to be sure. However, everything is queer today. Just then, she heard something splashing about in the pool a little way off, and she swam nearer to find out what it was. At first she thought it must be a walrus or a hippopotamus, but then she remembered how small she was now. She soon made out that it was only a mice, and that it slipped in like herself. Would it be of any use now, thought Alice, to speak to this mice? Everything is so out of the way down here, that I should think very likely that it can talk. At any rate, there's no harm in trying. So she began. Oh mice, do you know the way out of this pool? I'm very tired of swimming about here. Oh, mice? Alice thought this must be the right way to speak to a mice. She'd never done such a thing before. But she remembered having seen, in her brother's Latin grammar, a mouse of a mouse to a mouse, a mouse. Oh, mice. The mice looked at her rather inquisitively, and seemed to her to wink with one of its little eyes, but said nothing. Perhaps it doesn't speak English, thought Alice. I dare say it's a French mouse, and it came over with William the Conqueror. For, with all of her knowledge of history, Alice had no very clear notion how long ago anything had happened. So, she began again. Où est Machat? What was the first sentence in her French lesson book? The mouse gave a sudden leap out of the water, and seemed to quiver all over with fright. Oh, I beg your pardon, cried Alice, hastily, afraid that she had hurt the poor animal's feelings. I quite forgot. You don't like cats. Not like cats, cried the mouse, in a shrill, passionate voice. Would you like cats if you were me? Well, perhaps not, said Alice in a soothing tone. Don't be angry about it. And yet I wish I could show you our cat, Dina. I think you'd take a fancy to cats if only you could see her. She is such a dear, quiet thing, Alice went on, half to herself, as she swam about lazily about the pool and she sits purring so nicely by the fire, licking her paws and washing her face. 
for she is such a nice soft thing to nurse. She's such a capital one for catching mice. Oh, I beg your pardon, cried Alice again, for this time the mice was bristling all over. She felt certain it would be easily offended. We won't talk any more about her, if you'd rather not. We indeed, cried the mice, who was trembling down to the end of its tail. As if I would talk on such a subject. Our family always hated cats. Nasty, low, vulgar things. Don't let me hear the name again. I won't indeed, said Alice, in a great hurry to change the subject to conversation. Are you... Are you fond of... Of dogs? The mice did not answer, so Alice went on eagerly. There is such a nice little dog near our house. I should like to show you. A little bright-eyed terrier, no, with oh such long curly brown hair. And it'll fetch things when you throw them. And it'll sit up and beg for its dinner, and all sorts of things. I can't remember half of them. And it belongs to a farmer, you know. And he says it's so useful, it's worth a hundred pounds. He says it kills all the rats and... Oh, oh dear, cried Alice in a sorrowful tone. I'm afraid I've offended it again. For the mouse was swimming away from her as hard as it could go, making quite a commotion in the pool as it went. So she called softly after it. Mice, dear, do come back again, and we won't talk about cats or dogs either, if you don't like them. When the mouse heard this, it turned round and swam bolt slowly back to her. Its face was quite pale. With passion, Alice thought, and it said in a low, trembling voice, Let us get to the shore, then I shall tell you my history, and you'll understand why it is that I hate dogs and cats. It was high time to go, for the pool was getting quite crowded with the birds and animals that had fallen into it. There was a duck, and a dodo, and a lorry, and an eaglet, and several other curious creatures. Alice led the way, and the whole party swam to the shore. Chapter 3 A Caucus Race and a Long Tail They were indeed a queer-looking party that assembled on the bank. The birds with draggled feathers, the animals with their fur clinging close to them, and all the dripping, wet, cross and uncomfortable. The first question, of course, was how to get dry again. They had a consultation about this, and after a few minutes it seemed quite natural to Alice to find herself talking familiarly with them, as if she had known them all her life. Indeed, she had quite a long argument with the lorry, who at last turned sulky and would only say, I'm older than you and must know better. And this Alice would not allow, without knowing how old it was. And, as the lorry positively refused to tell its age, there was no more to be said. At last, the mouse, who seemed to be a person of some authority among them, called out, Sit down, all of you, and listen to me. I'll soon make you dry enough. They all sat down at once, in a large ring, with the mice in the middle. Alice kept her eyes anxiously fixed on it, for she felt sure that she could catch a bad cold if she did not get dry very soon. Ahem, said the mice, with an important air. Are you all ready? This is the driest thing I know. Silence all round, if you please. William the Conqueror, whose cause was favoured by the Pope, was soon submitted to by the English, who wanted leaders, and had been of late much accustomed to usurpation and conquest. Edwin and Morcar, the Earls of Meridia and Northumbria, said the lorry, with a shiver, 
I beg your pardon, said the mouse, frowning, but very politely. Did you speak? Not I, said the lorry, hastily. I thought you did, said the mouse. I proceed. Edwin and Morcar, the earls of Meridia and Northumbria, Cloudfern, and even Stigand, the patriotic Archbishop of Canterbury, found it advisable. Found what? said the duck. Found it, the mouse replied rather crossly. And of course you know what it means. I know what it means well enough when I find a thing, said the duck. It's generally a frog or a worm. The question is, what did the archbishop find? The mouse did not notice this question, but hurriedly went on. Found it advisable to go with Edgar Eastley to meet William and offer him the crown. William's conduct at first was moderate, but the insolence of his Normans... How are you getting on now, my dear? It continued, turning to Alice as it spoke. As wet as ever, said Alice in a melancholy tone. It doesn't even seem to be dry to me at all. In that case, said the dodo, solemnly rising to its feet. I move that the meeting adjourn, for the immediate adoption of more energetic remedies. Speak English, said the eaglet. I don't know the meaning of half those long words. And what's more, I don't believe you either. And the eaglet bent down its head to hide a smile. Some of the other birds tittered audibly. What I was going to say, said the dodo in an offended tone, was that the best thing to get us dry would be a caucus race. What is a caucus race, said Alice. Not that she much wanted to know, but the dodo had paused as if it thought that somebody ought to speak, and no one else seemed inclined to say anything. Why, said the dodo. The best way to explain it is to do it. And as you might like to try the thing yourself some winter day, I will tell you how the dodo managed it. First, it marked out a race course in a sort of circle. The exact shape doesn't matter, it said. And then all of the party were placed along the course, here and there. There was no one, two, three and away. But they began running where they liked and left off when they liked so that it was not easy to know when the race was over. However, when they'd been running half an hour or so, and were quite dry again, the dodo suddenly called out, The race is over! And they all crowded round it, panting and asking, But who is one? This question, the dodo could not answer without a great deal of thought, and it stood for a long time with one finger pressed upon its forehead, the position in which you usually see Shakespeare in the pictures of him while the race wasted in silence. At last, the dodo said, everybody is one, and all must have prizes. But who's to give the prizes? Quite a chorus of voices asked. Why, she, of course, said the dodo, pointing to Alice with one finger, and the whole party at once crowded around her, calling out in a confused way. Prizes, prizes. Alice had no idea what to do, and in despair she put her hands in her pocket, and pulled out a box of comfits. Luckily, the salt water had not gotten into it, and handed them round as prizes. There was exactly one apiece all round. But she must have a prize herself, you know, said the mice. Horse, the dodo replied very quickly. What else have you got in your pocket? It went on, turning to Alice. Only a thimble, said Alice sadly. Hand it over here, said the dodo. Then they all crowded round her once more, while the dodo solemnly presented the thimble, saying, 
we beg your acceptance of this elegant symbol. And when it had finished this short speech, they all cheered. Alice thought the whole thing very absurd, but they all looked so grave that she did not dare to laugh. And as she could not think of anything to say, she simply bowed, took the thimble, looking as solemn as she could. The next thing was to eat the comfits, and this caused some noise and confusion, as the large birds complained that they could not taste theirs, and the small ones choked and had to be patted on the back. However, it was over at last, and they sat down again in a ring, and begged the mice to tell them something more. You promised to tell me your history, you know, said Alice. And why is it that you hate C and T? She added in a whisper, half afraid that it would offend again. Mine is a long and sad tale, said the mice, turning to Alice and sighing. It is a long tale, certainly, said Alice, looking down with wonder at the mice's tale. But why do you call it sad? And she kept on puzzling about it while the mice was speaking, so that her idea of the tale was something like this. Fury, so said a mice, that he met in the house. Let us both go to law. I will prosecute you. Come, I'll take no denial. We must have the trial. For really, this morning, I've nothing to do. Said the mice to the cur, such a trial, dear sir. With no jury or judge, we'd be wasting our breath. I'll be the judge, and I'll be the jury, said the cunning old fury. I'll try the whole cause, and the whole condemn you to death. You're not attending, said the mice to Alice severely. What are you thinking of? I beg your pardon, said Alice very humbly. You'd got to the fifth bend, I think. I had not, cried the mice, sharply and very angrily. A not, said Alice, always ready to make herself useful and looking about her. Oh, do let me help you undo it. I shall do nothing of the sort, said the mice, getting up and walking away. You insult me by talking such nonsense. Didn't mean it, pleaded Peralis. But you're so easily offended, you know. The mice only growled in reply. Please come back and finish your story, Alice called after it, and the others all joined in chorus. Yes, please do. But the mice only shook its head impatiently and walked a little quicker. What a pity it wouldn't stay, said the lorry, as soon as it was quite out of sight. And an old crab took the opportunity of saying to her daughter, Ah, my dear, let this be a lesson to you. Never lose your temper. Hold your tongue, Pa, said the young crab, a little snappishly. You're enough to try the patience of an oyster. I wish I had Ardina here. I know what to do, said Alice aloud, addressing nobody in particular. She'd soon fetch it back. And who is Dina, if I might venture to ask the question, said Laurie. Alice replied eagerly. She was always ready to talk about her pet. Dina's our cat, and she's such a capital one for catching mice. You can't think. Oh, and I wish you could see her after the birds. Why, she eat a little bird as soon as look at it. This speech caused a remarkable sensation among the party. Some of the birds hurried off at once. One old magpie began wrapping itself up very carefully, remarking, I really ought to be getting home. The night air doesn't suit my throat. And a canary called out in a trembling voice to his children, Come away, my dears. It's high time you're all in your bed. On various pretexts, they all moved off, and Alice was soon left alone. I wish I hadn't mentioned Dina, 
said to herself in a melancholy tone. Nobody seems to like her down here. And I'm sure she's the best cat in the world. My dear Dina, I wonder if I shall ever see you anymore. And here, poor Alice began to cry again, for she felt very lonely and low-spirited. In a little while, however, she again heard a little pattering of footsteps in the distance, and she looked up eagerly, half hoping that the mice had changed his mind and was coming back to finish his story. Chapter 4 The Rabbit Sends in a Little Bill It was the white rabbit, trotting slowly back again, and looking anxiously about it as it went, as if it had lost something, and she heard it muttering to itself, The Duchess! The Duchess! Oh, my dear paws! Oh, my fur and whiskers! She'll get me executed, as sure as ferrets are ferrets. Where can I have dropped them, I wonder? Alice guessed in a moment that it was looking for the fan and the pair of white kid gloves, and she very good-naturedly began hunting about for them. But they were nowhere to be seen. Everything seemed to have changed since her swim in the pool, and the great hall, the glass table and the little door had vanished completely. Very soon, the rabbit noticed Alice. She went hunting a bite and called out to her in an angry tone. Why, Marianne, what are you doing out here? Run home this moment and fetch me a pair of gloves and a fan. Quick now. And Alice was so much frightened that she ran off at once in the direction it was pointed to, without trying to explain the mistake that it made. He took me for his housemaid, she said to herself as she ran. No surprise he'll be when he finds out who I am. But I'd better take him his fan and gloves. That is, if I can find him. As she said this, she came upon a neat little house, on the door of which was a bright brass plate with the name W Rabbit engraved upon it. She went in without knocking and hurried upstairs, in great fear lest she should meet the real Marianne and be turned out of the house before she had found the fan and gloves. How queer it seems, Alice said to herself, to be going messages for a rabbit. I suppose Dina will be sending me messages next. She began fancying the sort of thing that would happen. Miss Alice, come here directly and get ready for your walk. Coming in a minute, nurse. But I've got to watch this mouse hole till Dina comes back and see that the mice doesn't get out. Only, I don't think, Alice went down, that they'd let Dina stop in the house if it began ordering people about like that. By this time, she had found her way into a tiny little room with a table in the window, and on it, as she had hoped, a fan and two or three pairs of tiny white kid gloves. She took up the fan and a pair of gloves, and she was just about to leave the room when her eye fell upon a little bottle that stood near the looking glass. There was no label this time with the words drink me, but nevertheless she uncorked it and put it to her lips. I know something interesting is sure to happen, she said to herself, whenever I eat or drink anything, so I'll just see what this bottle does. I do hope it'll make me large again. For really, I'm quite tired of being such a tiny little thing. It did so indeed, and much sooner than she had expected. Before she had drunk half the ball, she had found herself pressing against the ceiling, and had the stoop to save her neck from being broken. She hastily put down the bottle, saying to herself, That's quite enough. I hope I shan't grow any more. As it is, I can't get out the door. I do wish I hadn't drunk quite so much. Alas, it was too late to wish that. She went on growing and growing, and very soon had to kneel down on the floor. In another minute there was not even room for this, 
and she tried the effect of lying down with one elbow against the door, and the other arm curled around her head. Still, she went on growing, and as a last resource, she put one arm out of the window and one foot up the chimney. She said to herself, Now I can do no more. Whatever happens, what will become of me? Luckily for Alice, the little magic bottle had now had its full effect, and she grew no larger. Still, it was very uncomfortable, and as there seemed to be no sort of chance of her getting out of the room again, no wonder she felt unhappy. It was much pleasanter at home, thought Paralis, when one wasn't always growing larger and smaller, and being ordered about by mice and rabbits. I almost wish I hadn't gone down that rabbit hole. And yet, and yet, it's rather curious, you know, this sort of life. I do wonder what can have happened to me. When I used to read fairy tales, I fancied that this kind of thing never happened. And now here I am in the middle of one. There ought to be a book written about me. That there ought. And when I grow up, I'll write one. But I'm grown up now, she added in a sorrowful tone. At least there's no room to grow up anymore here. But then, thought Alice, shall I never get any older than I am now? That'll be a comfort one way, never to be an old woman. But then, always to have lessons to learn. Oh, I shouldn't like that. Oh, you foolish Alice, she answered to herself. How can you learn lessons in here? Why, there's hardly room for you, and no room at all for any lesson books. And so she went on, talking first from one side and then the other, and making quite a conversation of it all together. But after a few minutes, she heard a voice outside and stopped to listen. Marianne, Marianne, said the voice, fetch me my gloves this moment. There came a little pattering of feet on the stairs. Alice knew that it was the rabbit coming to look for her, and she trembled till she shook the house, quite forgetting that she was now about a thousand times as large as the rabbit, and had no reason to be afraid of it. Presently, the rabbit came up to the door and tried to open it, but as the door opened inwards and Alice's elbow was pressed hard against it, that attempt proved to be a failure. Alice heard it say to itself, Then I'll go round and I'll get in through the window. That you won't, thought Alice, and after waiting till she fancied she heard the rabbit just under the window, she suddenly spread out. She made a snatch in the air. She didn't get a hold of anything, but she heard a little shriek and a fall and a crash of broken glass, from which she concluded that it must just be possible that it had fallen into a cucumber frame or something of the sort. Next came an angry voice, the rabbit's. Pat, Pat, where are you? And then a voice she had never heard before. Sure, then I'm here, digging for apples, your honour. Digging for apples, indeed, said the rabbit angrily. Here, come and help me out of this. Sounds of more broken glass. Now, Tell me, Pat, what's that in the window? Sure, it's an arm, your honour. He pronounced it an arm. An arm, you goose. Whoever saw one that size? Why, it fills the whole window. Sure it does, your honour. But it's an arm, for all of that. Well, it's got no business there at any rate. Go and take it away. There was a long silence after this, and Alice could only hear whispers now and then. Such as, sure, I don't like it, your honour, at all, at all. Do as I tell you, you coward. And at last she spread out her hand again and made another snatch in the air. This time there were two little shrieks, 
And more suns of broken glass. What a pair of cucumber frames that it must be, thought Alice. Wonder what they'll do next. As for pulling me out of the window, I only wish they could. I'm sure I don't want to stay in here any longer. She waited for some time without hearing anything more. And at last came a rumbling of little cartwheels and the sound of a good many voices all talking together. She made out the words, Where's the other ladder? Why? I hadn't thought to bring one. Bill's got the other. Bill? Fetch it here, lad. Here, put them up on this corner. Nope, tie them together first. Don't reach high enough yet. Oh, they'll do well enough. Don't be particular. Here, Bill, catch hold of this rope. Will the roof bear? Mind that loose slate. Oh, it's coming down. Heads below. A light flash. Now, who did that? Bill, I fancy. Who's to go down the chimney? I shan't. You do it. Th that I won't. Bill, you got to go down there. Here, Bill. The master says you've got to go down the chimney. Oh, so Bill's got to come down the chimney, has he? Said Alice to herself. Why? They seem to put everything upon Bill. I wouldn't be in Bill's place for a good deal. This fireplace is narrow, to be sure. But I think I can kick a little. She drew her foot as far down the chimney as she could and waited till she heard a little animal. She couldn't guess what sort it was, scratching and scrambling about in the chimney close above her. Then, saying to herself, This is Bill. She gave one sharp kick and waited to see what would happen next. The first thing she heard was a general chorus of, There goes Bill. Then the rabbit's voice alone. Catch him, you by the hedge. Then silence. And then another confusion of voices. Hold up his head. Brandy now, don't choke him. How was it, old fellow? What happened to you? Tell me all about it. Last came a little feeble, squeaking voice. That's Bill, thought Alice. Well, I hardly know. No more, thank you. I'm better now. But I'm a deal too flustered to tell you. All I know is something comes at me like a jack-in-the-box, and up I goes like a skyrock. So you did, old fellow, said the others. We must burn the house down, said the rabbit. And Alice called out as loud as she could. If you do, I'll set Dina at you. There was a dead silence instantly. And Alice thought to herself, I wonder what they will do next. If they had any sense, they'd take the roof off. After a minute or two, they began moving about again. And Alice heard the rabbit say, A barrel full will do, to begin with. Arrow fill of what? thought Alice. But should not long to die, for the next moment a shower of little pebbles came rattling in the window, and some of them hit her in the face. I'll put a stop to this, she said to herself, and shouted out, Better not do that again, which produced another dread silence. Alice noticed, a little surprise, that pebbles were all turning into little cakes as they lay on the floor, and a bright idea came into her head. If I eat one of these cakes, it's going to make some change in my size. And as it can't possibly make me larger, it must make me smaller, I suppose. So, she swallowed one of the cakes and was delighted to find that she began shrieking directly. As soon as she was small enough to get through the door, she ran out of the house and found quite a crowd of little animals and birds waiting outside. Poor little lizard, Bill, was in the middle, being held up by two guinea pigs. Her were giving it something out of a bottle. 
They all made a rush at Alice the moment she appeared, but she ran off as quick as she could, and soon found herself safe in a thick wood. The first thing I've got to do, said Alice to herself as she wandered about in the wood, is to grow to my right size again. The second thing is to find my way into that lovely garden. I think that will be the best plan. It sounded like an excellent plan, no doubt, and very neatly and simply arranged. The only difficulty was that she had not the slightest idea how to set up on it. And while she was peering about anxiously among the trees, a little sharp bark just over her head made her look up in a hurry. An enormous puppy was looking down at her with large round eyes and feebly stretching out one paw, trying to touch her. Her little thing, said Alice in a coaxing tone, and she tried hard to whistle at it. But she was terribly frightened all of the time at the thought that it might be hungry, on which it would be very likely to eat her up in spite of all of her coaxing. Hardly knowing what she did, she picked up a little bit of a stick and held it out at the puppy, whereupon the puppy jumped into the air all of its feet at once, and with a yelp of delight, rushed at the stick and made believe to worry about it. Then Alice dodged behind a great thistle, and to keep herself from being run over, and the moment she appeared the other side, the puppy made another rush at the stick and tumbled head over heels in its hurry to get a hold of it. Then Alice, thinking it was very like to have a game of play with a cart horse and expected any moment to be trampled under its feet, ran around a thistle again, and the puppy began a series of short charges at the stick, running a very little way forwards each time and a long way back and barking hoarsely all the while. Till at last it sat down a good way off, panting, with its tongue hanging out of its mouth, and its great eyes half shut. This seemed to Alice a good opportunity for making her escape, so she set off all at once, and ran until she was quite tired and out of breath, until the puppy's bark sounded quite faint in the distance. And yet, what a dear little puppy it was, said Alice. She leant against a buttercup to rest herself, and fanned herself with one of the leaves. I should have liked teaching it tricks very much, if, if only I'd been the right size to do it. Oh dear, I'd nearly forgotten that I've got to grow up again. Let me see, how is it to be managed? I suppose I ought to eat or drink something or another, but the question is what? The great question certainly was what. Alice looked all around her at the flowers and the blades of grass, but she couldn't see anything that looked like the right thing to eat or drink under the circumstances. There was a large mushroom growing near her, about the same height as herself, and when she looked under it, both sides of it, behind it, it occurred to her she might as well look and see what was on the top of it. She stretched herself up on tiptoe and peeped over the edge of the mushroom, and her eyes immediately met those of a large blue caterpillar that was sitting on the top, with its arms folded, quietly smoking a long hookah, and taking not the smallest notice of her or anything else. Chapter 5 Advice from a Caterpillar The caterpillar and Alice looked at each other for some time in silence. At last, the caterpillar took the hookah out of its mouth and addressed her in a languid, sleepy voice. Who are you? said the caterpillar. This was not an encouraging opening for a conversation. Alice replied rather shyly, I... I hardly know, sir. Just at present. At least I know how I was when I got up this morning. 
but I think I must have changed several times since then. What do you mean by that? said the caterpillar sternly. Explain yourself. I can't explain myself, I'm afraid, sir, said Alice, because I'm not myself. You see? I don't see, said the caterpillar. I'm afraid I can't put it more clearly, Alice replied very politely, for I can't understand it myself to begin with, and being so many different sizes in a day is very confusing. It isn't, said the caterpillar. Well, perhaps you haven't found it so yet, said Alice, but when you have to turn into a chrysalis, you will someday, you know, and then after that into a butterfly. I should think you'll find it a little queer, won't you? Not a bit, said the caterpillar. Well, perhaps your feelings may be different, said Alice. All I know is, you would feel very queer to me. You, said the caterpillar contemptuously, are you. Which brought them back again to the beginning of the conversation. Alice felt a little irritated at the caterpillar making such very short remarks. She drew herself up and said very gravely, I think you ought to tell me who you are first. Why? said the caterpillar. Here was another puzzling question, and, as Alice could not think of any good reason, and the caterpillar seemed to be in a very unpleasant state of mind, she turned away. Come back, the caterpillar called after her. I have something important to say. This sounded promising, certainly. Alice turned and came back again. Keep your temper, said the caterpillar. Is that all? said Alice, swallowing down her anger as best she could. No, said the caterpillar. Alice thought about it as well as she might as well wait, because she had nothing else to do. And perhaps after all it might tell her something worth hearing. For some minutes it puffed away without speaking, but at last it unfolded its arms, took the hook out of its mouth again and said, so, you think you've changed, do you? Afraid I am, sir, said Alice. I can't remember things as I used, and I don't keep the same size for ten minutes together. Can't remember what things, said the caterpillar. Well, I've tried to say how doth the little busy bee, but it all came out different. Alice replied in a very melancholy voice. Repeat, you are old, Father William, said the caterpillar. Alice folded her hands and began. You are old, Father William, the young man said, and your hair has become very white. And yet you incessantly stand on your head. Do you think at your age it is right? In my youth, Father William replied to his son, I feared it might injure the brain. But now that I'm perfectly sure I have none, why I do it again and again. You're old, said the youth, as I've mentioned before, and I've grown most uncommonly fat. Yet you turned a back somersault in at the door. Pray, what is the reason for that? In my youth, said the siege as he shook his grey locks, I kept all my limbs very supple. By the use of this ointment on chilling the box, allow me to sell you a couple. You are old, said the youth, and your jaws are too weak for anything tougher than sweet. Yet you finish the goose with the bones in the beak. Pray, how do you manage to do it? In my youth, said his father, 
I took to the law and argued each case with my wife. And the muscular strength which it gave to my jaw has lasted the rest of my life. You are old, said the youth. One would hardly suppose that your eye was as steady as ever. Yet you balanced a nail at the edge of your nose. What made you so awfully clever? I have answered three questions, and that is enough, said his father. Don't give yourself airs. Do you think I can listen all day to such stuff? Be off, or I'll kick you downstairs. That is not said right, said the caterpillar. Not quite right, I'm afraid, said Alice timidly. Some of the words have got altered. It was wrong from beginning to end, said the caterpillar decidedly, and there was silence for some minutes. Caterpillar was the first to speak. What size do you want to be? It asked. Oh, I'm not particular as to size, Alice hastily replied. Only one doesn't like changing so often, you know? I don't know, said the caterpillar. Alice said nothing. She'd never been so much contradicted in all of her life before, and she felt that she was losing her temper. Are you content now? said the caterpillar. Well, I should like to be a little larger, sir, if you don't mind, said Alice. Three inches is as wretched height as to be. Is a very good height indeed, said the caterpillar angrily, rearing itself upright as it spoke, as it was exactly three inches high. But I'm not used to it, pleaded Peralis in a piteous tone. She thought to herself, I wish the creatures wouldn't be so easily offended. You'll get used to it in time, said the caterpillar, and it put the hook in its mouth and began smoking again. This time Alice waited patiently until it chose to speak again. In a minute or two, the caterpillar took the hook out of its mouth and yawned once or twice and shook itself. Then it got down off the mushroom and crawled away into the grass, merely remarking as it went, One side will make you grow taller, and the other side will make you grow shorter. One side of what? The other side of what? thought Alice to herself. Of the mushroom, said the caterpillar, just as if she had asked the question aloud, and in another moment he was out of sight. Alice remained looking thoughtfully at the mushroom for a minute, trying to make out which were the two sides of it, and as it was perfectly round she found this a very difficult question. However, at last, she stretched her arms round it as far as they would go, and broke off a bit of the edge with each hand. And now, which is which, she said to herself, and nibbled a little of the right hand bit to try the effect. The next moment she felt the violent blow underneath her chin. It had struck her foot. She was a great deal frightened by this sudden change, but she felt this was no time to be lost. She was shrinking rapidly, so she set to work at once to eat some of the other bit. Her chin was pressed so closely against her foot that there was hardly room to open her mouth. But she did it at last, and managed to swallow a morsel of the left-hand bit. Come, my head's free at last, said Alice in a tone of delight, which changed into alarm in another moment, when she found that her shoulders were nowhere to be found. All she could see, when she looked down, was an immense length of neck, which seemed to rise like a stalk out of the sea of green leaves that lay far below her. Can all that green stuff be, said Alice, 
And where have my shoulders got to? Oh, my poor hands. How is it I can't see you? She was moving them about as she spoke, but no results seemed to follow, except a little shaking among the distant green leaves. As there seemed to be no chance of her getting her hands up to her head, she tried to get her head down to them, and was delighted to find that her neck would bend almost as easily in every direction, like a serpent. She had just succeeded in curving it down into a graceful zigzag, and was going to dive in amongst the leaves, which she found to be nothing but the tops of the trees under which she'd been wandering, when a sharp hiss made her draw back in a hurry. A large pigeon had flown into her face and was beating her violently with its wings. Serpent! screamed the pigeon. I am not a serpent, said Alice indignantly. Let me alone. Serpent, I say again, repeated the pigeon, but in a more subdued tone, and added with a kind of sob. I've tried every way, but nothing seems to suit them. I haven't the least idea what you're talking about, said Alice. I've tried the roots of trees, I've tried banks, and I've tried hedges, the pigeon went on, without attending to her. But those serpents, there's no pleasing them. Alice was more and more puzzled, but she thought there was no use in saying anything till the pigeon had finished. As if it wasn't trouble enough hatching the eggs, said the pigeon, but I must be on the lookout for serpents night and day. Why, I haven't had a wink of sleep these last three weeks. I'm very sorry you've been annoyed, said Alice, who was beginning to see its meaning. And just as I'd taken the highest tree in the wood, continued the pigeon, raising its voice to a shriek, and just as I was thinking I would be free of them at last, there must needs come wriggling down from the sky. Ugh, serpent! But I'm not a serpent, I tell you, said Alice. I'm a... I'm a... Well, what are you? said the pigeon. I can see you're trying to invent something. I, I'm a little girl, said Alice, rather doubtfully, as she remembered the number of changes she'd gone through that day. A likely story indeed, said the pigeon, in a tone of deepest contempt. I've seen a good many little girls in my time, but never one with a neck such as that. No, no, you're a serpent, and there's no use denying it. I suppose you'd be telling me next that you never tasted an egg. I've tasted eggs, certainly, said Alice, who was a very truthful child. But little girls eat eggs quite as much as serpents do, you know. I don't believe it, said the pigeon. But if they do, why? Then they're a kind of serpent as well. That's all I can say. This was such a new idea to Alice that she was quite silent for a minute or two, which gave the pigeon the opportunity of adding, You're looking for eggs. I know that well enough. And what does it matter to me whether you're a little girl or a serpent? Well, it matters a good deal to me, said Alice hastily. But I'm not looking for eggs, as it happens. And if I was, I wouldn't want yours. I don't like them raw. Well, be off then, said the pigeon in a sulky tone as it settled down again into its nest. Alice crouched down amongst the trees as best she could, for her neck kept getting entangled among the branches, and every now and then she had to stop and untwist it. After a while she remembered that she still held the pieces of mushroom in her hands, and she set to work very carefully, nibbling first at one and then at the other, growing sometimes taller, sometimes shorter, until she had succeeded in bringing herself down to her usual height. It was so long since she'd been anything near the right size that it felt quite strange at first. But she got used to it in a few minutes 
and began talking to herself, as usual. Come, there's half my plan done now. How puzzling all these changes are. And I'm never sure what I'm going to be from one minute to another. However, I've got to get back to my right size. And now that I have, the next thing is to get into that beautiful garden. How is that to be done, I wonder? As she said this, she came suddenly upon an open place, with a little house about four feet high. Whoever lives there, thought Alice, it'll ever do to come upon them this size. Why, I shouldn't frighten them out of their wits. So, she began nibbling at the right-hand bit again, and did not venture to go near the house till she had brought herself down to nine inches high. Chapter 6 Pig and Pepper For a minute or two, she stood looking at the house, and wondering what to do next, when suddenly a footman in livery came running out of the woods. She considered him to be a footman because he was in livery. Otherwise, judging by his face only, she would have called him a fish. And he rapped loudly at the door with his knuckles. It was opened by another footman in livery, with a round face, and large eyes like a frog. And both footmen, Alice noticed, had powdered hair that curled all over their heads. She felt very curious to know what it was all about, and crept a little way out of the wood to listen. The fish footman began by producing from under his arm a great letter, nearly as large as himself. And this one he handed over to the other, saying in a solemn tone, For the Duchess, an invitation from the Queen to play croquet. The frog footman repeated in the same solemn tone, only changing the order of the words a little. From the Queen, an invitation for the Duchess to play croquet. Then they both bowed low, and their curls got entangled together. Alice laughed so much at this, that she had to run back into the woods for fear of them hearing her. And when she next peeped out, the fish footman was gone, and the other was sitting on the ground near the door, staring stupidly up at the sky. Alice went timidly up to the door and knocked. There's no sort of use in knocking, said the footman, and that's for two reasons. First, because I'm on the same side as the door as you are, and secondly, because they're making such a noise inside, no one could possibly hear you. And certainly, there was a most extraordinary noise going on from within. Constant howling and sneezing, and every now and then a great crash, as if a dish or a kettle had been broken to pieces. Please then, said Alice, how am I to get in? There might be some sense in your knocking, the footman went on, without attending to her, if we had had the door between us. For instance, if you were inside, you might knock, and I could let you out, you know? He was looking up at the sky all the same, but he was speaking, and this Alice thought decidedly uncivil. But perhaps he can't help it, she said to herself. His eyes are so very nearly at the top of his head. But at any rate, he might answer questions. <laughs> How am I to get in? She repeated aloud. I shall sit here, footman remarked, until tomorrow. At this moment, the door of the house opened, and a large plate came skimming out straight at the footman's head, and had just grazed his nose and broke the pieces against one of the trees beside him. Or the next day, maybe, the footman continued in the same tone, exactly as if nothing had happened. How am I to get in? asked Alice again, in a louder voice. Are you to get in at all? said the footman. That's the first question, you know. It was, no doubt, only Alice did not like to be told so. 
It's really dreadful, she muttered to herself. The way all creatures argue. It's enough to drive one crazy. The footman seemed to think this a good opportunity for repeating his remark, with variations. I shall sit here, he said, on and off, for days and days. But what am I to do, said Alice. Anything you like, said the footman, and began whistling. There's no use in talking to him, said Alice desperately. He's perfectly idiotic. And she opened the door and went in. The door led right into the large kitchen, which was full of smoke from one end of the other, and the Duchess was sitting on a three-legged stool in the middle, nursing a baby. The cook was leaning over a fire, stirring a large cauldron which seemed to be full of soup. There's certainly too much pepper in that soup, Alice said to herself, as well as she could for sneezing. There was certainly too much of it in the air. Even the Duchess sneezed occasionally. And as for the baby, it was sneezing and howling alternately with the moment's pause. The only two creatures in the kitchen that did not sneeze were the cook and a large cat, which was lying on the hearth and grinning from ear to ear. Please, would you tell me, said Alice, a little timidly, for she was not quite sure whether or not it was good manners for her to speak first. Why does your cat grin like that? It's a Cheshire cat, said the Duchess, and that's why. Pig. She said the last word with such violence that Alice quite jumped. But she saw in another moment that it was addressed to the baby, not to her. So she took courage and went on again. I didn't know the Cheshire cats always grinned. In fact, I didn't even know cats could grin. They all can, said the Duchess, and most of them do. I didn't know any of the do, Alice said politely feeling quite pleased to have got into a conversation. Well, you don't know much, said the Duchess. That's a fact. Alice did not at all like the tone of this remark, and thought it would be as well to introduce some other subject for conversation. While she was trying to think on one, Cook took the cauldron of soup out of the fire, and at once set to work throwing everything within her reach at the Duchess and the baby. The fire irons came first, and then followed a shower of saucepans and plates and dishes, the Duchess took no notice of them, even when they hit her, and the baby was howling so much already that it was quite impossible to say whether or not the blows hurt it or not. Oh, please mind what you're doing, cried Alice, jumping up and down in an agony of terror. Oh, there goes his precious nose, as a large saucepan flew close by it and very nearly carried it off. If everybody minded their own business, the Duchess said in a hoarse growl, the world would go round a great deal faster than it does. Which would not be an advantage, said Alice, who felt very glad to get an opportunity of showing off her little knowledge. Just think what it would look like with the day and night. You see, the earth takes 24 hours to turn round on its axis. Talking of axes, said the Duchess, chop off her head. Alice glanced rather anxiously at the cook to see if she meant to take the hint. The cook was busily stirring the soup, and seemed not to be listening. So she went on. Twenty-four hours, I think. Or is it twelve? I... Don't bother me, said the Duchess. I could never abide figures. And with that, she began nursing her child again, singing a sort of lullaby to it as she did so, and giving it a violent shake at the end of every line. Speak roughly to your little boy, and beat him when he sneezes. He only does it to annoy, because he knows it teases. Wow. 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 
While the Duchess sang the second verse of the song, she kept tossing the baby violently up and down, and the poor little thing howled so that Alice could barely hear the words. I speak severely to my boy. I beat him when he sneezes. But he can thoroughly enjoy the pepper when he pleases. Wow, wow, wow. Here. You may nurse it a bit, if you like, the Duchess said to Alice, flinging the baby as her as she spoke. I must go and get ready to play croquet with the Queen. She hurried out of the room. The cook threw a frying pan after her as she went, but it just missed her. Alice caught the baby with some difficulty, as it was a queer-shaped little creature, and held out its arms and legs in all directions. Just like a starfish, thought Alice. The poor little thing was snorting like a steam engine when she caught it, and kept doubling itself up and straightening itself out again, so that altogether, for the first minute or two, it was as much as she could do to hold it. As soon as she had made out the proper way of nursing it, which was to twist it into some sort of a knot and then keep tight of hold of its left ear and right foot as to prevent itself from undoing itself, she carried it out into the open air. If I don't take the child away with me, thought Alice, they're sure to kill it in a day or two. Wouldn't it be murder to leave it behind? She said the last words out loud, and the little thing grunted in reply. It had left off sneezing by this time. Don't grunt, said Alice. It's not a proper way of expressing yourself. The baby grunted again, and Alice looked at it very anxiously into its face to see what was the matter with it. There could be no doubt that it had a very turned up nose. More like a snipe than a real nose. Also, its eyes were getting extremely small for a baby. Altogether, Alice did not like the look of the thing at all. But perhaps it was only sobbing, she thought, and looked into its eyes again to see if there were any tears. No, there were no tears. If you're going to turn into a pig, my dear, said Alice seriously, I'll have nothing more to do with you. Mine now. The poor little thing sobbed again, or grunted. It was impossible to say which. And they went on for some while in silence. Alice was just beginning to think to herself, Now, what am I to do with this creature when I get it home? When it grunted again, so violently, that she looked down into its face in some alarm. This time, there could be no mistake about it. It was neither more nor less than a pig, and the fact that she felt it would be quite absurd for her to carry it any further. So, she set the little creature down, felt quite relieved to see it trot away quietly into the woods. If it had grown up, she said to herself, it would have made quite a dreadfully ugly child. But it makes for a rather handsome pig, I think. She began thinking over children that she knew, who might do very well as pigs. I was just saying to herself, if only I knew the right way to change them. When she was startled by seeing the Cheshire cat sitting on a bough of a tree a few yards off. The cat only grinned when it saw Alice. It looked good-natured, she thought, until it had a very long claws and great many teeth. So she felt she ought to be treating it with respect. Cheshire puss, she began rather timidly, as she did not know at all whether or not it would like the name. However, it only grinned a little wider. Come, it's pleased so far, thought Alice, and she went on. Would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? That depends a great deal on where you want to get to, said the cat. I don't care where, 
said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, replied the cat. So long as I get somewhere, Alice added as an explanation. Oh, you're sure to do that, said the cat. If only you walk long enough. Alice felt that this could not be denied, so she tried another question. What sort of people live here? In that direction, the cat said, waving its right paw, lives a hatter. And in that direction, waving another paw, lives a marcher. Visit either you like, they've both gone mad. But I don't want to go among mad people, Alice remarked. Oh, you can't help that, said the cat. We're all mad here. I'm mad, you're mad. How do you know that I'm mad, said Alice. You must be, said the cat, or you wouldn't have come here. Alice didn't think that proved it at all. However, she went on. And how do you know that you're mad? To begin with, said the cat, a dog's not mad. You grant that? I suppose so. Well then, the cat went on. You see, a dog growls when it's angry and wags its tail when it's pleased. Now I growl when I'm pleased, and I wag my tail when I'm angry. Therefore, I'm mad. I call it purring, not growling, said Alice. Call it what you like, said the cat. Do you play croquet with the queen today? I should like it very much, said Alice, but I haven't been invited yet. You'll see me there, said the cat, and vanished. Alice was not much surprised at this. She was getting so well used to queer things happening. While she was looking at the place where it had been, it suddenly appeared again. By the by, what became of the baby, said the cat. I'd nearly forgotten to ask. It turned into a pig, Alice answered very quietly, just as if the cat had come back in a natural way. I thought it would, said the cat, and vanished again. Alice waited a while half expecting to see it again, but it did not appear, and after a minute or two she walked on in the direction in which the March Hare was said to live. I've seen hatters before, she said to herself. The March Hare will be as much the least interesting, and perhaps, as this is May, it won't be raving mad, at least not so mad as it was in March. As she said this, she looked up, and there was the cat again, sitting on the branch of a tree. She said pig. Or a fig, said the cat. I said pig, replied Alice, and I wish you wouldn't keep appearing and vanishing so suddenly. You make one quite giddy. All right, said the cat, and this time it vanished quite slowly, beginning with the end of the tail and ending with the grin, which remained some time after the rest of it had gone. Well, I've often seen a cat without a grin, thought Alice, but a grin without a cat. It is the most curious thing I've ever saw in all my life. She had not gone much farther before she came inside of the house of the marcher. She thought it might be the right house because the chimneys were shaped like ears and the roof was thatched with fur. It was so large a house that she did not like to go near till she had nibbled some more of the left-hand bit of the mushroom and raised herself to about two feet high. Even then she walked up towards it rather timidly, saying to herself, suppose it should be raving mad after all. I almost wish I'd gone to see the Hatter instead. I think we should leave it there. I think that's a wonderful spot to leave it because I think we all remember what comes next. And this is such a trip down memory lane. 
I do love this story. The word play is just remarkable. I could think it might be where I get my love of puns. Anyway. Before we go to the Mad Hatter's party. We'll leave it there. And we will join them the next time. For now. I need to sleep. And I think you need to as well. So. Good night my friend. I hope you sleep well. You deserve it.